Welcome to episode six of the School of Success podcast series with the amazing and truly inspiring Jamie Leginski, founder of PrimeCap, a multi-award-winning property-related currency services. Welcome to the School of Success podcast series. My name is Melanie Pritchard, former lawyer turned success coach and corporate wellbeing trainer. And each month we bring you an inspiring person and message to help you discover the tools for creating happiness in the widest sense. Thank you so much everyone for spending some time with me today. Now without further ado, let the class begin. It's been said that entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't, so that you can spend the rest of your life like most people dream to. have a very special guest on today's episode of the School of Success podcast series, the lovely and much-valued friend Jamie Lezinski, former Exeter University history graduate and social secretary of the mixed lacrosse team no less, turned currency specialist at American Express, Currencies Direct and the international foreign exchange market. Before he went on to set up his own highly successful, acclaimed, award-winning company, PrimeCap, which has been the winner of a variety of awards from the 2020 SME News Awards, um, not to mention the Worldwide Finance Awards for Private Client FX Broker of the Year. PrimeCap offers award-winning and bespoke guidance and rates of exchange, particularly in relation to property transactions, including both the acquisition and sale of a range of properties, including residential, as well as in relation to foreign currency denominated earnings for businesses and professionals. Jamie is a skilled entrepreneur and a wonderful example of the power of passion and playing to your strengths interests and unique selling points in building a truly successful brand for yourself. Some of the topics we will be covering today include what kind of path you need to pursue before setting up your own business, what kind of skill set you need to nurture and how to develop these to a standout degree, how important is passion for an industry to really succeed in that sector, and finally that all-important question, what kind of personality and behaviours really determine entrepreneurial success. I'm absolutely thrilled to have the lovely Jamie Lezinski on the School of Success podcast series. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Good morning. 
thank you so much for being here, Jamie. Um, not not just a really, really nice guy, but also a highly accomplished entrepreneur who I really, really admire. So this is a very special one for me. Please flatter me. <laughs> Um, so I'd love to just start, Jamie. Perhaps you could give us a very brief summary of who you are and what you do. Absolutely. Um, so I run a company that, uh, that on the one hand, advises people and businesses on the most economical, speedy, uh, appropriate way to send and receive money around the world to exchange currencies. And so I advise them on how, well, how to do that, what's out there, you know. What do they want to achieve? How best is it realized? And then on the other hand, I actually arrange those transactions for those of my customers who want to use me. So we, we provide advice and guidance on solutions, and then we actually facilitate currency exchange transactions for certain customers, certain clients that uh, you know, think we're the right place to achieve their goals, their objectives. Fantastic. That's it. <laughs> Brilliant. And um, you're, my elevator pitch. You're very, um, you're very modest, Jamie, because what Jamie has failed to share is that he is, um, in fact, an award-winning um, managing director at PrimeCap, so this wonderful currency brokerage. He's been recognised through um, more than one award, I might add, around customer service and innovation. So I'm sure there's a lot of pearls of wisdom you're going to be able to share with us today, Jamie. We'll see. I, I think so. It's not going to be rocket science. But. <laughs> well, you're very modest. Um, what I love most about Jamie, just to share with our listeners, is um, I don't know about you guys, but currency sounds a bit obscure and dry to me, and I probably don't have a great understanding of it and its intricacies. But what I love most about you, Jamie, is um, you're so eloquent and you're so charismatic, and you you break something quite complicated down into such a sort of bite-sized, informative um well, you just have a very informative way about you. And I think that's um, a real kind of killer, unique selling point of yours. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm a bit of a, personally, I'm a bit of a show-off and a bit of an extrovert. <laughs> and I'm very lucky that professionally I found a topic that most other people aren't interested in, which means that in conversation, whether it's professional or personal, I can talk about things where there are relatively few people with it, with a more detailed understanding than me and so that suits my personality wonderfully <laughs> yeah well that's very modest it goes to show the power of um personality actually and likability i think in in selling anything because you know um every man well the sort of common man wants someone who is relatable and who speaks their language as well who can break things down in a in an easy to understand way so yeah you do a great job of that jamie okay. so jamie um i'd love to just hear the backstory i mean obviously you're the md of this amazing um you know, currency brokerage, prime cap. But um, I'd love to hear the kind of backstory. Like, how did this all happen? What made you sort of decide to go it alone and set up your own business? What did you do before? Absolutely. Well, it was uh, uh, since I, I, was a, I was an army brat. So, you know, <laughs> uh, my parents stationed uh, internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so boarded, I was always quite independent from a young age, boarded at school in the UK and sort of, you know, ended up flying back overseas at the end of term time. But at university... Um, I was one of those really frustrating people who did a, a somewhat, well, a seemingly meaningless degree. And what that taught me was how to present more than anything else. Mm. But the degree I got left me with a conundrum, a quandary, because you can do anything with a history degree, apparently. Yeah, the yeah. trouble is, I, I quickly learned that actually, unless you've got a bit of focus, you really can't do anything with a history degree. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure how it happened, but not long after graduating, I... I I don't know how they came to my attention, but I stumbled across a company called Pareto Law, who mm-hmm. are a graduate sales recruiter, specifically graduates, 
specifically into sales roles. Um, and dare I say that, that, that was kind of my epiphany, not, not my Damascene moment, not my epiphany moment, but they, they identified the fact that sales, selling, presenting was perhaps it was where my skills lay. Mm. Um, and very simply, I said to them, I'd like to be based in London. Um, but I gave them very little other information as to what my career ambitions were because, you know, I was, what, 21? I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Anyway, they, they plonked me down. Uh, one of my very first interviews was with, with a chap called Ignacio Hernandez, who was the sales manager of a company called Currencies Direct. Mm-hmm. And Currencies Direct was the first business to acquire a license to sell currency wholesale to individuals like you and me. Oh. So, you know, we've all seen TravelX at the airport or, you know, uh, rail stations, and they were doing bureau de change for banknotes. Mm-hmm. But in 1996, the first license was granted to electronically move money for individuals. It had existed for businesses. Currency Strike was the first to get that license to do that sort of activity. Oh. I was very lucky. So my very first role was on the pre-sales team for this company, Currency Direct. Pre-sales meaning explaining to people why they should use the business and how to register as a customer. Right. And interestingly, that. What I find now is that those are actually the, 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 the key elements of registering my customer base. If yeah. you can quickly uh, and you know speedily outline the value proposition and get your clients on board, mm. well then you know before they've noticed, they've engaged you, and that's kind yeah. of you know speed is of the essence in, in financial services because you don't want the customer to lose interest or to sort of forget why it is that they're speaking with you in the first place. Um, wow. But anyway. I, I, I went on at Currency Director. Uh, I ended up managing their um, affiliates program. So a lot of agents, a lot of people referring work in France on the ground, you know, managing 14 regional agents, about mm-hmm. 350 businesses, state agents that were referring directly to Currency Direct in London. Mm-hmm. And I was their point of contact. Huge exposure. Um, I, I probably didn't do it very well, but you know the business grew. And that really underpins that gave me the confidence and the, the sort of um, the breadth of knowledge in terms of the, the, you know, how to work with people when they're referring business to you for foreign currency payments yeah. to to move on um, and, and you know inspired me to set up Prime Cap some years later having worked for another uh, fair few other businesses. So it was really the first three years of my career taught me everything that I rely on now. Amazing. And it's only been it's been then a, a couple of other business steps from there that have honed and qualified my ability to articulate the message and allow me to, you know, I've gained the confidence mm. to realize that, you know, you can strip away all the other stakeholders in the process. Mm-hmm. And if you can do it yourself, that's, the, that's what serves as the catalyst and the springboard to set up for yourself. And I'm sure that hopefully many, many folks who've set up their own business will say the same thing. They come to terms with the fact that they don't necessarily need the other stakeholders. The other stakeholders aren't adding any value to the client. Mm-hmm. So if the environment allows you to do it yourself, yeah. naturally you, you know the thought of venturing off on your own rises to the surface and for me it was an itch that I couldn't it became impossible to ignore because the climate changed to such an extent that I could set up and run a business that served a, a particular sort of niche element of, of, of my uh, market um, it just became sort of a no-brainer really absolutely gosh how inspiring Jamie um, and what I love about you is you're so humble um, in that you said you know you you gained confidence and I love the way that you acknowledge that because I find with a lot of my particularly career coaching clients, there's this, this assumption that 
oh, but I, I don't know what I'm doing. And if I don't know, then I, I can't do that. And I can never do that. Um, and I'm often keen to press that, you know, action builds belief. The expert in anything was once a beginner, one of my favorite quotes. And I love the way that you acknowledge um, your growth from, um, to some extent, it sounds like falling into this area. Would you agree with that? The sort of currency area? I would. Um, but, then, but then growing yeah. enormously as you've gone to be in a position where you feel confident enough to launch on your own. It's incredibly inspiring. And I think many graduates become consumed with the idea that the subject matter that they were, were you know, what they were reading at university is yeah. therefore somehow going to inform what the, the, the career path or the, what they move into, the industry they move into. Mm. But actually, that's to undervalue the other skills that they're learning while studying for a degree. Yeah. So for me, a history degree taught me how to stand up and present and explain a slide. Mm -hmm. um, it, it helped me to in a balanced mm. way, critically assess various things. Mm. Now, it wasn't really about history. And like now, my profession is not really about currency. Mm -hmm. I could be selling a banana or a bottle of Coke, <laughs> but it's about, uh, it's about wrapping and enveloping the, the sort of the allure of that bottle of Coke with this sort of the sense that the person I'm buying it from is someone who's trustworthy. Exactly. And that this is the bottle of Coke that I want to purchase. And Jamie and his team are adding to the allure of that which is why I choose them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you mentioned the word trust because that's exactly what, what the word was that was going through my mind, Jamie, that you're you're very trustworthy, um, you're very credible. And I think when you're working closely with money, um, obviously money is involved in everything in life, but I think that trust <laughs> is imperative. You said something very interesting, Jamie, which I have a vested interest to know more about. You said um, you know, that sales, or you suggested that sales is something that um, has always maybe been one of your strengths. It's something that you've grown in confidence around as well. Have you got any kind of top tip for any listeners? Um, I mean, we all sell in different ways in our in our jobs, really, whether to kind of internal clients um, or external clients. What's the one thing that you would say you've learned is sort of key to um, an effective sale, really? Well, actually, funnily enough, I, what popped into my head just now is Sir Clive Woodward. And he always said that, you know, teams are very quick to analyze and dissect their losses. Rarely do they take time to consider how they arrived at their successes, at their wins, what mm. elements conspired in favor of that victory. Mm. So for me, and again, when considering starting up PrimeCap, I had a good network of people who referred business to me. Yeah. And I took the view that if I focused on expanding my network of those who gave me the highest revenue, mm -hmm. those, you know, well, actually, as it turns out, solicitors who work with people buying and selling houses, they're a really good source. I thought, if I can add, I've got two solicitors who refer to me excellently. If I can get one more, then I can potentially increase my lead source by a third. Wow. And that was my motivation. So from the sales, uh, the tip point of view, analyze your successes. Mm. Literally, if there's, you know, and also dealing with obstacles. And the way I do it mentally is that, you know, if there's one that really is a cloud over me, reduce it to folly. Break it up, you know, dissect that elephant, eat it in small bites. But, you know, look at mm -hmm. what is standing in my way. And um, every single day make an, make, do something to, to make it seem ridiculous so that it's not you know, it, it leaving me paralyzed and, and unable mm. to do anything. Um, and that, that's from a sales perspective. You know, I learned that through the cold calling uh, uh, scenario um, when I was working for one particular firm. You know, some of my colleagues and I, in fact, were expected to make 100 to 120 calls a day to businesses that we didn't know. Wow. And I absolutely hated it mm. because I've got to be honest, if I'm calling you and you don't know me, I'm going to irritate the hell out of you, I firmly suspect. Mm -hmm. you know, non regional addiction, talking about a subject that you're very unlikely to know anything about. 
So I tried to take a different approach, which was to nurture a personal network that essentially leveraged other people's mm. skills in sourcing that client. Yeah. Um, so it got round. <clears throat> you know, it's just a different. It's a different tactical approach to to selling. Yes. I I've got to, I'll be perfectly honest that my strategy and our strategy as a business is to get friends of the business who know, like, and trust us to do a bit of the selling for us. What's well, spot <laughs> by on? By way of yeah. referral. Spot on. I'm so glad that you stressed that. Um, that's something I've learned recently when I was doing a bit of research around selling. Um, if you don't like selling, which I certainly don't, um, um, if you can be introduced to companies through people who trust you and um, who have credibility, it bypasses the selling to some extent. So absolutely, Jamie. And I love that idea of kind of network to get work. You know, the power of network is yeah. the networking is, is key. So Jamie, um, maybe a silly question, but had you always sort of harnessed a desire to go it alone, to be an entrepreneur? Or is that just something that kind of happened when you realized, like you said, that you didn't need, you know, other stakeholders to sort of seal a deal with clients, really? Um, I would I would never have reached, you know, I never would have got to a position whereby I felt confident enough to, to set up my own business and do it on my own had I not been through the, pre, the previous sort of, you know, 10 years worth of, of, of various different jobs and doing various different tasks within certain businesses. So, yeah. no, um, it, it, it's never been my, I learned the appeal of, of being the, the key decision maker or the only decision maker. Mm. I arrived at a point where I realized that the, the input of other people in terms of what paid my mortgage could not outweigh my own understanding of what needed to be done. Yep. So it was kind of, but that, yeah, that was a path. That was a, that, everyone, the cliche is it's a, it's a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, mentally I closed off the various doors working for various companies and the only door left open really was the one I walked through in, you know, May of 2018 to set up PrimeCap. Um, I do think, I, but the, the thing is actually, Maybe I, I, I'm quite sort of autonomous, quite self-reliant, quite independent. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps subliminally or subconsciously, it was, it was something that was inevitable. But, you know, I didn't necessarily, in my mind, I, it wasn't an ambition that I had. Mm. Circumstances um, it, it, you know, took me in that direction. And I'm, I'm adamant that had I stayed in the corporate sphere, I would be probably very happy. Um, mm-hmm. And there's certain safety nets that I would really take for granted and, and be hugely grateful that are there, especially in a climate like this now. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I would, you know, the kind of contempt for the contribution of others probably would have remained. And it's not contempt, that sounds really savage, but, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm, yeah, it's it bordering on arrogance, frankly, but it's, you know, the inherent belief that actually other people, maybe the way I do it is the best way to do it. Absolutely. Um, that's really um, great insight, Jamie. So around... You mentioned um, that you're quite sort of independent and autonomous. Um, a lot of my sort of client base are quite interested in hearing more about entrepreneurialism. Um, would you say, like, if, if you had to give one piece of advice around, say, two or three things that you absolutely need to have as a person to be an entrepreneur, um, I know that's quite specific, what would come to mind for you? Um, I mean, the bizarre thing is that most entrepreneurs, you know, it's a label that we... I say we, not I don't mean me speaking on behalf of the community, but you know yeah. it's a label that is placed on it by others. You know, uh, I would never call myself an entrepreneur. Mm. I'm someone who who who, who couldn't find uh, satisfaction elsewhere, and so I set up a business in pursuit of that satisfaction on my own. Um, and it's actually ignited in me an interest in other businesses and in other in doing certain things in other ways. And so one begets the other. An entrepreneur, I think, there's something there's a serial element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that 
like I say, if you know that satisfaction, you know that satisfaction can't be got in your current structure, mm. then you need to, you know, it, it's, it, it, as you say, it's a very difficult question to answer. What are the, what are the things that are key to being an entrepreneur? Um, don't ignore the, the no's. Don't ignore the negatives, mm -hmm. um, the, the reasons why you don't want to do it. But pick the most prominent one and chip away at it. And if it evaporates after you've done your research and you manage to come to terms with it, then again, move on to, to the next one. Mm. Um, uh, especially if you're in a, in a job at present and you want to set up a business. Um, eradicate, work your way through the reasons why you shouldn't set up the business yourself. Mm. And if you can, you know, if you can get rid of those no's, then the answer is quite clear. And that should, if you're talking to yourself, your internal monologue, that should give you the answer. Mm. As in, I need to set up, I need to do this. And um, trust your, your inner voice, weirdly. You know, yeah. what I did, my, my wife and I both agreed, she runs her own business, as, 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 you know, and we had agreed that I needed to have a, a, a chunk of capital so that if it didn't go very well, mm -hmm. you know, I, I buy myself sufficient time to go back into the, uh, the jobs market. Um, as it turned out, that was not necessary. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I would say don't be overly cautious, um, but don't be reckless. And yeah. talk to other, other people as well. You know, one thing I've not had throughout this process is a mentor because hmm. everyone um, within foreign exchange, because it's quite a niche practice, um, people always see you as a competitor. Yeah. And I've got to be honest, I see, I see other businesses in the same space, not as competitors, but as, as, as advertisers. I see them mm. as doing my job for me. Yeah. And in a fair fight, me sat in front of the would-be client between me and the, the other person, client makes the decision. But in the grand scheme of things, other foreign exchange companies are not, uh, not competitors of mine. And that has unfortunately meant, though, that there's no one really to guide me through this path. And yeah. I know that people say that mentors should be um, from complementary or from, maybe from a sector other than your own. Mm. One of the key things I miss is having a sounding board. Yes, absolutely. And again, it's that, you know, it, I'm, I, I sit here in an echo chamber. Yes, we have, you know, a, a, a fair few hundred clients, and, and that's fantastic. We've achieved some uh, a modicum of success. But there is no one to say to me, there's no one to present me with a credible reason why I should go down a particular route other than me. And that's yeah. probably one of the shortcomings of my uh, business structure. Um, or maybe one of the successes. But the trouble is I'm I don't know why, which one it is. <laughs> yes, that's such a good point, Jamie. You've touched on so many um, pertinent factors there, really. Um, I like the way that you sort of debunk this idea that, you know, in a way that entrepreneurs are special or special kinds of people. Um, that's really refreshing. It reminded me of something that um, a friend of mine, Alex Ledger, who runs Sky School, said when I interviewed him years ago for my old blog. Um, and he said, he was, he was very modest, and he said, well, I was just unemployable. <laughs> Um, and he also said, you know, KISS, the acronym, keep it simple, stupid. And I just loved how um, non sort of egotistical that was. As you say, sometimes doors just close and there's a door that's... But I've got a friend. Go on, I've got a friend you. who was an early, stage, an early stage investor in Tails, you mm -hmm. know, the dog food, spectacle, yes. the, the, the sort of Tails dog food. Yep. And he was an investor in it. His chum set it up. And I remember, I remember Rob talking about his friend. His friend's skill was setting up a business and getting it to a point where he could then sell it. That was his skill. That was mm. his passion. That was his drive. It wasn't running the business. Yeah. It wasn't putting in place a management structure. It, and that, I think, falls into the sort of yeah. stereotypical understanding of an entrepreneur. Because he'd go from one business, set it up and move on, to another business, set it up and move on. And mm. of course, he'd retain interest on the board, at a board level in all of these businesses. Now, I don't necessarily think that's an entrepreneur. I think that's somebody who's intensely aware of their skills. Yeah. 
and know and is intensely disciplined in applying themselves mm. and you know realizes the extent of their skill set. Um, I would say personally, you know, my, my skill set is selling. You know, my, my business at present is in a sense a lifestyle business. Our plans are not to scale massively because I realize that that would require incorporating other skills or other individuals into the process. And I'm not quite ready to do that yet. But I do think that um, it's having an awareness. There's nothing quite like having the income, every every decision resting on your shoulder to tell you precisely where your skills lie. Mm. So it's kind of, you know, you've got to do it to to know it in a way. Um, Absolutely. From it, really. Absolutely, Jamie. And, and have you found that it's been sort of quite a learning curve, as you know, since you set up on your own? Um, you know, as you say, and that's something I really relate to, when you work on your own, um, it can be quite lonely. I, I love your image of the echo chamber. You know, you don't have someone to sort of chat through what's the best sort of fee to charge here, what's the best angle to take, how should I write this or market this? It's it's all just resting on you. And I certainly sometimes um, have to remind myself, stop putting so much pressure on yourself to just know it, to know the perfect formula, the perfect angle, you know, um, and I often say to myself, what's the worst that can happen? And then that sort of propels me to act, yeah, really. Absolutely. So it's sort of being gentle on yourself and acknowledging, as you say, that it's a journey and you're constantly learning. Absolutely. And like, you know, the, the, especially in the early days, everyone puts a lot of pressure on that first client. You think to yourself, gosh, if I lose this client, it's all lost because yeah. they're my only client at this stage. When the whole point is, because you've one, you know, taken a slightly more mature approach to this, this one client is the first of many. And you kind of lose perspective initially, I think. If someone's so sort of scared about not cocking it up on that first client, they're not the guinea pig. What, someone, what I had to remind myself was, I've been doing this for years. I have literally been running PrimeCap for the whole of my career. It's only now, though, that I've chosen to incorporate it as a business. PrimeCap yeah. is, you know, I, I follow a number of um, influencers on, on things like Instagram. And that idea of personal brand, which I think is going to become a massive theme over the next, five, 10, 15 years. I mean, there already is a big theme. Mm. But I think in financial services, uh, I'm quite surprised that, you know, our parents' generation, everyone used to know their bank manager. Yeah. You submit a mortgage application or you apply for an overdraft, you go to the individual who's the bank manager in branch. And what surprises me now is that none of my peers could give me a name at their bank. Yeah. Um, if they could, that they would, and they would recommend and refer that individual because they know like a trust them. Yeah. So I think we're going to see a shift towards the personal brand um, really coming to the fore. Um, I've meandered away from your question, but um, it, it's an interesting one. From from my perspective, PrimeCap is, is kind of me, and on social media I represent PrimeCap as Jamie Lijinsky. But I, I was quite consumed with the idea that people should think of PrimeCap as some big hulking financial services giant because that implies security and safety. Yeah. Actually... Now I think that these big brands, what it implies is risk. Hmm. It implies um, 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 illiquid, you know, decision-making is slow. Um, people, they're unambitious. Um, you know, everything is put to panel and therefore you miss opportunities. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, I was quite consumed with the idea that, that PrimeCap should seem bigger than it was. Therefore, I can compete with other um, brands in the same space. And actually, now our greatest asset is the fact that the client will get a response within seconds because we're sitting behind our inbox to answer those questions absolutely we're not dealing with a thousand you know it's a different type of approach and it's so true what you say jamie i mean everything you know i call a bank you know you're speaking to someone in a, in a you know obviously in india everything's outsourced it's very impersonal and something i really like about your brand is when i think of prime cap i your face comes comes into my mind straight away because of the amazing 
um, you know, marketing you do on sort of TikTok and Instagram and you're there on video. So you get an immediate sense of your energy yeah. and the fact that you're likable, trustworthy, that if I was confused, I know that if I asked you how to explain something, you just do it in exactly the right way. Like you understand the average client's pain points so well. Um, you just take the complex out of it. And yeah, I think it's lovely this idea of you being the face of the business and it brings this personal trustworthy trusted advisor aspect that is really kind of missing these days so i love that i have to agree jamie around the well, end... i really hope no, sorry, uh, no after you go ahead i really hope that that you know dare i say it, banks move in that direction yeah yeah you know, we should it's our biggest you know our salary our income things that we do financially are our biggest headache they're our biggest concern but they're also our biggest investment in how we live our lives yeah and yet we have no idea who to contact specifically to talk about them. I think that has a great deal to do with, you know, lawyers are running the advert with regards to talking about money and how it can be very divisive between families, so on and so forth. But I can't, I can't think of anyone who can give me the name of someone who's in control of their finances at yeah. the financial institution where we hold our account. Yeah, such a good point. Yeah. When you put it like that, it seems balmy, doesn't it? It's nuts, really. Jamie, around the on point around you know, as you know, well, as some of my listeners will or won't know, you know, your wife works with my sister and their business partners of Design Box London. And it's been quite an interesting point of contrast for me, because obviously, they have each other to bounce ideas off. And they seem like a really great team, they've got different strengths and skills, so they really complement. Um, but as you say, it can be lonely working on your own, um, without that sort of mentor. What have you found the most helpful resource um, that's kind of bridged that gap a bit for you? Is there anything that you found helpful? Um, in terms of sort of, yeah, know, not not that loneliness, not being debilitating. I do, I would say, and I know it sounds silly, but but dare I say, it, social media. Yeah. Um, and you know the idea that it's a community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and but you know I've stripped, I've taken from it uh, 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 things that I never thought I would be able to incorporate into the way I do my business, mm -hmm. and also then just learning tips and tricks. You know, my, I'm I'm a big fan now of TikTok. And I can quite happily spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes flicking through how-tos um, because the, the variety, the videos, the, the way they're presented, the way concepts are articulated, all of these are useful to me in how I present my business. Mm. It's not just about learning what a stock or a share is or you know, why inflation is or what. It's how the person in the video is talking. Yeah. If I've taken away a message and if it's resonated with me, then their style of presentation is what stuck with me, not the subject. Mm, and so that's been very helpful to me in honing the way I uh, endeavor to come across on social media. Um, plus, it's turned my business on its head because you were never able to cold call private clients to sell them currency. Yeah. You know, where would you start? Yeah. Now, on social media, I put out content, I put out explanations, and the individual opts in. By watching my video, they're saying, yeah, well, I, I think what he has to say is I want to hear more. And so mm. it changes the dynamic entirely. I don't feel under pressure to tell people everything in 15 seconds or in a minute. Mm. If I run out of time and the concept hasn't been articulated, my hope is that they'll click onto the next video. Yeah. But they're the ones dictating the, the content, you know, the consuming of this information. Mm. And that wasn't the case five years ago. That's such a good um, point, And it's all increasing. Yeah. Very... Well, I never need to contact them again. Essentially, they are contacting me even though I've not met them because hopefully I'm presenting myself in such a way as to give them a sense of what they'll get when they pick up the phone. Absolutely. They're kind of in control, aren't they? Um, it seems less salesy. I also love what you say, Jamie, and I think that's a really important point um, around the, the way that you say things is sometimes more important than what you're saying. It's that idea that, you know, the impact of communication is only 35% content and the rest is things like tone of voice, um, you know, pitch, 
um, the pace at which you speak and your body language, um, nonverbal body language. So I'm really glad that you made that point because I find that something that really um, sort of blocks quite a lot of my clients from taking steps forward and changing their lives is this idea of if I'm not perfect, I shouldn't do it. Um, my my favorite sort of quote there is less perfection, more authenticity, you know, because authenticity sells, being yourself. And that's where your personality really shines through. What I remember of your videos is, um, I don't really probably engage with the content as much, but it's the way that you say things, you know, the fact that you're energizing and warm and smiley um, is fantastic and enthusiastic. So I thank you for really reminding us of the importance of that. What I was also um, hoping to ask you, Jamie, is in terms of your kind of entrepreneurial journey setting up on your own, um, what would you say has been the best bit? If you had to pick one thing that you sort of like most about running the show, what would you say the best thing about it is for you? Uh, I found it quite freeing to uh, have the the autonomy to pick the things that I, pursue the things that I knew were most important. Yeah. Uh, I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, I used to work for a company, um, it was a 12-strong business. It was, uh, sorry, saying brokerage again, but, you know, there were various, in the office, office of 12, there were various uh, um, things one had to do. It was almost like the performance art in a way. You know, you've got to go through the motions. You've got to be seen to engaging in the morning meeting. You've got to contribute. They did a, a commentary, sent out to all their clients. You've got to be seen to contribute to that. Mm. And actually, all of it was entirely meaningless as far as I, would con I was concerned in terms, of the, um, in terms of what was valuable to my customers. So setting up on my own, I found it, I find it intensely gratifying to know that what I am doing on a daily basis is the things that are valuable to my customers. Going through the motions and that sort of the, the, the politics of the business environment can get in the way of employee satisfaction. Mm. So I'm, I'm far more productive now that I am the one who chooses what I do. And I think it was always the cliche. My, my father was in the army and he sort of, he won't mind me saying this, but he sort of lost interest in his job when he was no longer soldiering. He was doing a more administrative role. Mm. You get to a certain level and you were actually behind the desk rather than in front of people. And I think that's very true of most businesses. You know, the passion, folks who started at the bottom, they end up getting into a managerial role and actually it takes on, it's an entirely different animal. Um, and for me, I'm able to focus my energy on doing the things that are productive and that I'm good at, yeah. um, and that's hugely freeing. It means I'm actually better and more engaged with those things. Yeah, that's interesting. So you kind of play to, you're inclined to play to your strengths more, and you don't have the drag of office politics, which I have to say is something I hear a lot. Like, God, I really want to just go and do something on my own because I can't stand these office politics or the pace at which decision making happens is something that I hear a lot from clients. And Jamie, in terms of the and if off you have an off day, exactly. <laughs> if you have an off day, you aren't running. After you, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. If you have an off day, you know you don't want to sit around a morning meeting with a with a with a grumpy face and everyone's there. You know you have to play the part, and actually you, you don't want to. I mean, yeah. That in itself is is kind of thing. I wonder how that's going to change now, given what folks have been through over the last three to four months. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, if you if you had any advice, Jamie, around the the downside of you know doing your own thing business wise. Um, what what would it be? I mean, obviously there are downsides. Um, what would you pick out? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's. I wouldn't say that it's lonely. I mean, I've found uh, ways to not distract myself, but I've found ways to focus my energy. You know, things like social media. There's always something to be done. There's always a blog to be written. There's always a video to be put out. Um, 
I don't dwell, I'm not a worrier. You know, it's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but doesn't get you anywhere. And yeah. so that comes down to personal, you know, that that's just that's just me. And yeah. So again, it's a difficult question to answer because mm-hmm. anybody else in my position, you know, I, I've essentially, uh, I worked for a company for five years, but I was working more or less from from home. I was setting up their London office. So I was always well, I was always trained in being on my own, doing that business. Mm. Um, don't, it, it's a difficult one. You know, people on CVs, you know, job applications, they always say we want someone who's a self-starter and self-motivated and so yeah. on and so forth. I don't really think that many employers know what that means necessarily. Uh, I think it's a way of saying to uh, would-be applicants that if you consider yourself not to have those characteristics, then you need not apply. But there are lots of people who are perfectly able to to do things. They just wouldn't characterize it as self-motivation or self-reliance. And so Mm. the things to watch out for, don't place too much emphasis on feeling, on, on feeling blue. All things will pass. All things will change. And then mm. I found that on a day-to-day basis. If I felt particularly down or something hadn't worked or a client well, went elsewhere, yeah. I I stand up, look over the fence and see in the distance that next client walking towards me. So metaphorically, I would think to myself, yeah. I've done enough over the past two months. I've got a pipeline. I can see my next client. Yeah. This one, ignore him. He's out of my eyeline. I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Absolutely. I love that. It's like that idea of... um. Life is more about um, not so much what happens to you, but how you respond. And it seems to me, Jamie, one thing I always think of um, when I think of you is you're just so positive. You have such a positive um, attitude to life. And yeah, I think that that positivity must have been um, really helpful to you on this journey. Um, One thing I was also going to touch on, Jamie, I don't know if you've read, have you ever read the book um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill? Oh, no, no, no. It's on my my to-read list. It's so good. I think it's one of the... um, biggest bestsellers of all time I'd really recommend it so Napoleon Hill interviews 25 millionaires um on the secrets to success so it's not just around making money it's sort of success um in the broader sense really and one thing that really um always stuck with me is what what one of the kind of pearls of wisdom was and it was that people are often on the on the cusp of giving up just before great success hits yeah so and and that really resonates with what you just said that you know you can have down days when maybe you don't get a client or the client leaves you but it's all about sort of looking forward and picking yourself up and not sort of fixating too much on the inevitable sort of dips in the road on the journey. So I think that's a really lovely point that you made. And Jamie, it's interesting because you also, I mean, it's I very... I try and remind myself. Yeah? That's... I was just going to say, I, I, you know, I try and remind myself that it's on the day that I didn't do what I had done on the other days that mm. that perfect client or those clients come along. So, you know... For instance, one of my things is, and I've taken this from, from social media, it's taught me, you know, various things, but I, I post something every day. Yeah. And I post something in the belief that it's on that one day that I don't that my next client is online. Yeah. So that's what keeps me disciplined. Yeah. Reminding myself that, you know, you've got to be consistent because it's on the one day when you don't do that thing mm-hmm. that, that that opportunity will will go missing or at least you know it may not be true but that's kind of how I remind myself mm. and that's again about motivation yeah. what motivates me to do the various things that I know are valuable to my business mm-hmm. it's the belief that you never know when someone's going to be watching so you have to keep up that level of consistency and that standard because you know I can't afford to crack absolutely Jamie yeah I love that um and it reminds me also of that quote of you know if you want something you've never had you've got to do something you've never done so the tendency might be oh I'm a bit tired I, I won't post today 
But if you want to sort of be in that, um, you know, minority of success, then it's sort of pushing yourself, isn't it, outside that comfort zone to show up that little bit more than maybe a competitor might as well. Very inspiring stuff. Yeah. Um, well, exactly that. You're quite, you're quite right. You know, yeah. the idea of being in the space where your competitor isn't. And if your competitor isn't posting on Saturdays or Sundays because they keep conventional office hours, well, yeah. that is where you do your best work. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Um, what's also interesting to me, Jamie, is, um, as you know, I do a lot of career coaching um, and I often break down the sort of five core components of effective career alignment. And the core components are, which probably won't surprise you, your strengths and skills. Obviously, you've got a lot of those. Um, your interests and passions, um, what your purpose might be, your values and which are at the top of that values list and finally possible career options to explore. And what really interests me is... Um, you know, we this this theme has come up again and again. You know, you're an extrovert. You've got very strong people skills. You're very likable. You're trustworthy. Those interpersonal skills um, really support your success. So we know that strengths and skills are important to consider in career. You know, positive career decision making. Um, but how how interested are you in currency? I mean, it almost sounds like a sarcastic question. <laughs> Um, but you know, how important do you think that passion is for what you do? Because I sometimes say to clients, which you may disagree with, if you don't want to pick up a book and read about it in your spare time, I wouldn't advise you doing it, um, whether as an entrepreneur or work-wise. If you're looking to find a purpose-driven career that it really inspires and excites you, then I, I see that as a bit of a, a sort of litmus test. What are your thoughts around that, Jamie? And how do you feel about currency? Ooh. It's a good question. Objectively, yeah. currency is complicated and, and broad. And, you know, of course, no rational person would find it interesting in and of itself <laughs> um but you know for me it's it's the it's the tool of my by trade you know i don't think that uh, a, a farrier you know someone who makes horseshoes doesn't necessarily know how to ride a horse so yeah. i would never i've never stray into you know betting or pretending that i understand movement yeah. and currencies it, it, you know i do i do have an interest in it though and i'm quite lucky on the basis that it, it touches on so many different things and this is again a wee bit of a misconception. You're now indulging me somewhat because you're allowing me yeah. to talk about what I, you know, my professional area of interest. But currency, loads of people only know it when it comes to euro banknotes and you know going on holiday. Yeah, it touches every aspect of our lives. You know, we're about to potentially go into a recession, if not a depression. What mm -hmm. does currency mean? Well, currency tells you. It can give you a confidence boost. It can tell you. Um, that actually all is not lost. The pound is holding value. Therefore, the world seems to think we've got something going for us, even at a very basic level. You know. Mm -hmm. But um, do, I, do I have an interest in currency? I mean, oh, it's tricky. It, it, like I say, it plays to uh, what, what the appeal of the subject matter is the fact that I'm, I'm often the most knowledgeable person on it in the room. Yeah, um, and so I, I I worry that it stimulates that part of my brain that's there going feed me. It's the attention element, yes. and currency is purely a, a it's a mechanism for doing that. You know, the, the subject matter is purely a component part of that sort of you know, those endorphins or serotonin or whatever it might be that comes from, from talking about something. I get mm. off on the fact that relatively I'm, I'm uh, often talking about something that other people don't know about. Mm. I don't know if that's sort of sociopathy or something, but you know it's. Um, that's, yeah, that's a really so, interesting point Jamie and that's very honest because I've had clients who have said that they're drawn to areas that they can potentially be an expert in um, so uh, yeah I'm glad that you reminded me of that but you know if you think about it uh, a lot of people there are certain professions out there that we all look at and we go oh gosh I could do that 
gosh, yeah. it doesn't take any skill to do yes. that. But what you're doing is that you're undervaluing the skills that the person in that profession actually has. Yeah. It's not about understanding the property market, for instance. It's about being the person a buyer of a house wants to communicate with. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's, and there's a number of different, um, it's, ner- it's building, it's network and rapport building. Mm-hmm. not about property or currency or mm. derivatives or equities. It's about being the person someone comes to for advice on that topic. So again, yeah. I, I don't really look at it as, unless it's vocational, like you say, unless it's sort of, you know, accountancy or solicitor, you know, legal side of things, that mm. you do have to have, you know, analytical uh, capabilities, ability to critically assess. Mm. But in something that is less, you know, it's not as vocational and it's primarily sales related, yeah. it's, it's the soft skills that are key. Yeah, and that's, I'm so glad that you flagged this because that's sort of myth-busting in itself. Something my twin sister said was, um, you know, when she met, you know, Alex, your lovely wife, um, they were both working for an interior design consultancy. And my sister said she didn't particularly enjoy being in business development for someone else. However, um, when she set up her own interior design consultancy with Alex, um, she started to really enjoy it more. So she said it wasn't necessarily so much about the interior design aspect, but it was more the buzz she got from being in control um, being yeah. able to make those decisions and what she realized that was um, as an entrepreneur she really thrived probably because she is a self-starter and very proactive um, and very commercial and she felt much more confident taking that path than being an employee at Savills which she said she found really stressful because yeah, um, yeah she wasn't empowered it wasn't playing to the same strength so that's a really really good point Jamie um, the people aspect I'm really glad that you shared that and your sort of your commitment to your job if, if, if you like the way your job makes you feel, yeah, you know, I think people try to sort of identify, well, you know, I, I find movements in currency very interesting. No, you like the way that potentially and having an understanding of those movements makes you feel, yeah. um, I think. And, and you, know, you look for answers when actually it's about, it's about feelings and emotional connections. Yeah. I, don't, I haven't got an emotional connection to currency or rate of exchange. <laughs> I've got an emotional connection to the way it makes me feel. Yeah. To, to, Helping people. Know, Absolutely. And I think that's a really um, sort of poignant point right now as well, Jamie, obviously with coronavirus. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to be some currency guru because, you know, I'm not even particularly au fait with, you know, rates of exchange and that sort of thing, if I'm terribly honest. Neither am I. <laughs> but um, obviously during coronavirus, I'm um, basic enough to realise that, you know, there have been quite a lot of market fluctuations. Um, and as you rightly point out, you know, currency in and of itself sounds very dry, but it's linked to every strand of life, isn't it? Whether sort of property or yeah. retail, um, tourism, everything. So, yeah, I suppose in that sense, those those currency exchanges and the money that you can save people must be a wonderful way to make a difference and to help people at key life moments or when they're making big investments, whether in property or otherwise. Um, what what kind of stresses are your clients under? Like who what kind of what's the range of clients that you work with? Because I'd sort of assumed, oh, you know, you must only work with the super rich high net worth who are buying chateaus in France. What sort of people do you work with and what are the main sort of pain points you help them with? Well, I mean, uh, uh, between between 2000 and 2010, there was a massive boom in purchases of overseas property by Brits, second homes. People could buy, you know, a, a, a barn in South France or you know, in, in the Centre region of France for £150,000. They put a roof on it, they put a bathroom in it, and it becomes their little oasis, their home away from home. Yeah. They didn't break the bank to, to, to realise that dream, that escape to, you know, Provence or whatever it was. Mm. Now, 20 years later, I deal a lot with people who want to return to the UK. So dare I say it, boomer, baby boomers who now want to come back because their grandchildren, uh, you know, are, 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 they want to come and spend more time in the United Kingdom. 
hmm. and people selling those second homes overseas. And it's not millionaires. It's people who, uh, uh, you know, well, middle income, but actually, rather than paying off their mortgage in the UK, they, they invested 20, 30, 50,000 pounds in a, in a holiday home in France. Now, they're hmm. bringing it back. The rate of exchange means that they've made some money. But the average transaction size that I deal with is, you know, £5,000 up to, well, up £5,000 and up. Mm. But what I really enjoy is someone who never had the ability to use a foreign currency broker back when they bought a house overseas can now save a huge amount of money through someone like me when they bring their money back to the UK. Mm-hmm. And so that's the main, the profile is, is sort of that um, maybe our parents' generation who who are consolidating assets back in the UK or, again, inheritance, you know, families spread all over the world. Wow. Sadly, someone may, sadly, someone may have, you know, children in Australia and Canada and wherever, and, and they need to receive, so I deal a lot with solicitors who are managing estates, you know, wow. of wills and sending Absolutely. payments to individuals overseas. Um, but like you say, it touches every, loads of different strands, really. Yeah. Um, I would say that uh, a lot of my business clients, and I don't have many, we maybe work for about 30 um, businesses. You know, they're struggling at the moment because the pound has dropped in value and they've got to buy in. So one of my clients, my favorite clients, one of them is Cotswold Stone and Wood Tiles, based in Chipping Norton. Oh, lovely. Buys in. Yeah, he buys in lovely things from Italy and Spain. And the drop in the rate of exchange has meant that he has to pay more pounds to buy in those lovely things for his customers. Right. Um, so, you know, it's... <laughs> It's a human element. I love the client, not because he's using me, but because I love the story behind it. He used to do all sorts of interesting things in hospitality, you know. Absolutely. It's a bit, at the moment, the current circumstances, you know, my business, we're three months from when lockdown began. So actually, I'm lucky enough that I have a pipeline of business that extends beyond, you know, is longer than three months. Mm-hmm. So I've not really felt much of a pinch in terms of my day-to-day business. But the individuals behind, you know, behind the scenes, the, uh, the clients that I might be dealing with, some of them have got some very sort of sorry stories. And uh, yeah. you have to tread down carefully and, you know, know how to navigate. If I didn't have an interest in the individual I was dealing with, I don't think I would be in business. Um, and people, you, you know, again, I come back to our high street banks. You're not going to talk to someone in a call centre about the awful day you've had necessarily. Yeah. Because exactly. you're never going to speak to them again when you call back 15 minutes later. Yeah. Whereas from my point of view, that's crucial and core and key to our business because it's what means they'll recommend us to their friends absolutely it's what um my favorite quote says you know from Maya Angelou people will forget what you said they'll forget what you did but they'll never forget how you made them feel so I could not agree with you more there Jamie um and on that note, Jamie, um, I had a question on the tip of my tongue. Oh, yes. Um, obviously, I have a far less um, evolved understanding of what you do than you do. However, I do understand that obviously a big, the big sort of pain reliever that you provide to clients is saving them money. So am I right in thinking that you basically offer rates that you generally don't find with banks, in, hence clients can basically yeah. save a lot more money on big transactions and obviously quite often international overseas ones. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, what, what I have most fun in doing is coming up with different analogies to explain precisely what you've just said. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, quite right. So let's say, oh, my wife, your sister, they, they work in interior design. Mm-hmm. You could go into home base or, or no, actually, that's probably a bit more, uh, far more high street, but you could buy yeah. a lamp as a, as a consumer. Mm-hmm. Alex and Emma can buy a lamp as trade because they're a business mm-hmm. and they buy that lamp at a discounted rate the retailer hasn't marked up the cost of buying that lamp 
Um, and then Alex never choose to apply a markup or not for their customer. I do the same thing with currency. So for you and me, we are retail customers of our banks, but my business is a trade customer of a bank. So we get a preferential rate of exchange. And we get it's normally two, three percent better. Now, for me, I have to decide how much I, you know, how much I want to mark up that currency by. But you know, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Someone who is spending money overseas can save two, three percent mm-hmm. on their rate of exchange. That may not seem like much. If you're sending a thousand pounds, that is next to nothing. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's a tenner. Yeah. yeah. But if you're sending a hundred thousand um, pounds, it, it, it's two and a half, three thousand more in your pot lovely jubbly um so that yeah exactly you know and, and the funny thing is i uh, the banks come in for a lot of shtick they've invested heavily over the years in solutions that are really convenient for us to use we don't pay most of us for our monthly accounts so i'm not trying to demonize the banks at all yeah but in a weird sort of way you could view what i do you know, we're, we're almost not not a loophole but we're a way for someone who's researched this just to get a better rate of exchange because Absolutely. they're using someone with a stronger relationship with a financial institution. Yeah. They are leveraging our relationship with our wholesalers. Hmm. I'm so glad that's, that's, um, uh, I'm so glad to learn about what you do, Jamie, because frankly, I didn't even know that people like you existed. And if I ever, I don't know, move abroad and I'm involved in a transaction, it's just, well, obviously everyone wants to save money, especially on big acquisitions or disposals. So Thank you for explaining that so so clearly. Jamie, I've got one of my favourite questions here. Um, out of everything that you've done, whether it's sort of social media-wise or otherwise, um, parking the networking, which we've obviously touched on, what would you say is your yeah. most high results producing activity? Oh, it is, it is. Well, the first thing in terms of, you know, getting rid of, my, getting rid of inhibitions, that's a bit conceptual, though. Mm. Uh, you know, it was genuinely that idea that what's the worst that can happen. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, sing as if no one can hear you, dance as if no one's watching. Like, <laughs> what the, what the I'm having visions, but Jane. Genuinely, <laughs> <laughs> that mindset has been hugely productive for me. Yeah. Because it means I, I can I can leave behind stuff that I that was questionable in terms of judgment and move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Um, social media has turned turned things on its head, really. But you know, you've got to be in the room to win the work. You know, we, we talk about networking. Um, mm. Face for my specific. Uh, industry sector going out and shaking hands there was never any substitute for it yeah and it's one of the main things that my competitors not that they didn't see the value of it but it was easier to measure the performance or the key performance indicators of their employees if that employee was sat behind a desk Mm. so i used to get out and go and shake hands and go to places where maybe my time was wasted but it you know the whole point was you have to learn that where to apply yourself mm-hmm. um so yeah that you know get, getting out there um and the mm. worst thing someone can say is no drilling that into myself absolutely i still have to remind myself on a daily basis but you know um i appreciate so there's not that that isn't a trick per se um but you know i i've also now again back to the inhibition side of things i now make a point of asking certain uh, asking most of my clients to put up a testimonial for me on linkedin mm. Um, there's nothing, you know, we don't, I don't advertise anywhere. I advertise, uh, I pay £65 every quarter to advertise on something called Radio HP, which is a private listings network. But other than that, I spend nothing on advertising. Uh, the business, you know, my colleagues and I, it's all done social media or our own personal brand. Yeah. Um, and so think testimonials like that, hmm. if someone's prepared to 
publicly say you guys are great, then we can repurpose that endorsement over all of our platforms. So the value of it is enormous. Yeah. And if they're not willing to publicly endorse us, I do understand we're dealing with financial services. But, you know, um, it, 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 that, that's a sort of, it's a shame, really, because it, it means maybe that uh, they viewed it in a different way to us, if we're inclined to ask, you know. Absolutely. Um, that's, a really, that's a really good point, Jamie. Endorsements. Um, and that's something I remind clients of as well, even on their LinkedIn profiles, the power of recommendations, because it's a third party saying you're great. And obviously that's usually more powerful than us ourselves saying, you know, I'm great, of course. So that's a really, really good reminder. I'm a great believer. I'm a great believer in the idea that we are all indicative of a trend. You know, there are how many billion people on this planet. You know, if I've had this thought, millions, if not billions of other people have had this thought. Yeah. So I, I understand people who say, oh, I never look at testimonials. And well, actually, they're not. The whole point of really? repurposing them across wow. different 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 channels so you know taking a screenshot of a linkedin testimonial and putting it on on instagram for instance all of that repurposing mm. just serves to it's eminently googleable yep. and it feeds into image search so when someone searches by your name they'll see that testimonial you know all this mm. sort of thing creates an ecosystem of endorsement mm. um that, that you know channels the focus of your would-be client i think or your would-be employer i suppose yeah i love that jamie an ecosystem of endorsements and it's so true um that's something i've learned recently the power of repurposing materials so um rather than just doing one thing you can tweak it and use it in across various different channels to increase your visibility that's a really really good point um jamie you mentioned tiktok earlier i have a vested interest in this question but um you know, it, it's got quite a playful name, and I've maybe assumed in the past, oh, TikTok, that's where just people sort of shake their bums on a screen. But actually, I remember you saying something about how valuable you'd found it and the, the level of reach you can get. Could you just, like, tell us a bit about TikTok and um, how you find it beneficial? Of course. Um, well, actually, initially, I, started, I, I got on there because, uh, obviously, the, 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 the go-to in social media marketing strategists Gary V. I used to follow him on uh, Instagram, and I think he said TikTok's the platform of the future. Mm -hmm. I don't follow him anymore, but you know, the, there are a couple of reasons why I think it, it works very well. Um, there are billions of people on the app, and any one of those billions of people could see my video. Mm. So unlike Instagram, people don't have to follow me to see my content. Ah. Granted, that means it becomes far harder to for me to specifically target an audience. Yep. But it also means that I'm potentially able to reach a lot more people. And given that the prominence of any content I put out, the more prominent it is, the more prominent it becomes. That's the way the TikTok sort of system works. So if I put out a, 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 you know, a thing on inflation, um, I say, yesterday inflation was at X. What do you think or where do you think it's going to go? Mm -hmm. If people engage with that, then it will be sent out to more people. And it allows me to identify what content of mine is resonating broadly. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've only been on TikTok since January. I've got a couple of thousand followers. On Instagram, I've got less than a thousand followers. They're all people who know me and want to consume my content. Whereas with TikTok, unfortunately, the, the consumer doesn't really have a choice, which is a good thing for me. <laughs> That's why I like using it. Absolutely. <laughs> also, um, you know, it, it forces you to be concise in your messaging. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, I found um, that to be I, very, very important, the sort of the power of the under two minute video. Um, I challenged myself recently to do some mini series that were less than two minutes and it was really hard, but I wanted to be really firm because, you know, you get better engagement. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, it also allows you to, to do various, to come across in various different ways, various different styles 
um, you can test out different things that work. You can see analytics mm. um, on uh, on TikTok that you can't on uh, on Instagram. Oh, um, okay. And also, you know, uh, the variety, the personality as well. There are trends, there are hashtags across TikTok that, you know, if you want to dip into, you can give a more rounded representation of yourself frankly and there are certain things that I've done on there that more sort of you know the lip syncing and they made made me laugh (laughs) and it might made somebody else laugh as well and that's again that sense that it's not just about that brand uh that very polished considered brand uh uh, uh, interaction yeah everything the the idea that everything's put out to a um I can't even can't think of the word uh testing panels Mm. Uh, there's an expression for it isn't there um if you're an individual, you know, on, on TikTok, they can see it walks and all. I quite like that idea. Um, yeah, me and too. And for me, it's actually started, it's paid dividends. Um, you know, I've already got clients saying, hey, I'm, I'm selling a, an apartment in France. I'll give you a call when I am. Um, will you be able to do the exchange for me? Brilliant. Fantastic, um, Jamie. Yeah, you know. Great. It's a bit of entertainment. It lightens things up. Absolutely. It's really good to hear about some tangible results of TikTok. I'm going to get on it after this call. Um, and I also really agree with you. Like, um, I don't know about you, but during coronavirus... I've unfollowed a couple of people who, you know, they weren't, um, they're too, they're too polished, you know, at a time when a lot of people have been struggling and very stressed across a variety of areas of their lives, you know, a bit of authenticity goes a long way anyway, that's what sells, but particularly during coronavirus times, you know, letting your guard down, not always being polished and perfect. Um, so I really like what you say there about, you know, having a bit of fun with this as well, but, you know, and my, my biggest request for you, for you, Jamie, is to, um, up the lip syncing game. I'm going to be looking out over the oh next God. week for um. Actually, one of the worst things about TikTok is that it, it confirms to me that I really have no skills when it comes to things like that. You know, <laughs> people sit there; they're so imaginative. Some of the things that are on it are, are absolutely astonishing, and I sit there and go, "I haven't got the nerve to do it." Um, but you know, <laughs> and I'm sure. Uh, it, apparently, lots of people say that it's in its infancy in terms of its application for businesses. Yeah, um, interesting. I, I, I kind of believe that if I stick with it and I keep my content consistent, 10 years from now, who knows? It may well have paid massive dividends, but it harms me not. You know, it's definitely. 15 seconds or a minute talking about things that I feel passionate and engaged with. Great. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look into that. Really good intel there, Jamie. Jamie, a couple of other quick questions. Um, If you had to sort of say in in a couple of words, where you're happiest that you've sort of, where, what's been your best financial investment in your business? If you had to pick something, would it be sort of website or marketing or otherwise? Um, I would say it was, well, again, I'm going to turn your question slightly on its head. Um, what, what would have been the biggest waste had I done it would okay. have been the idea that I need a physical premises. Mm. Um, you know, again, financial services, thinking that you need an office in the city, that you need to compete with other businesses on mm-hmm. their playing field. Mm. I, I re- quickly realized that that is an erroneous, you know, I'm not trying to compete with other businesses like for like. The whole point is I set up my own because I believe I can do it differently. Yeah. If I want an office in the city or in Mayfair, then I'm trying to play them at their game. Yeah. And my game, my game is a different one. So um, have, having said that, though, I did take confidence from, um, I became a member of the 99 Club at the IOD, the Institute of Directors. And so startup businesses can use their facilities for things like meetings or to plug in a laptop. And it always, it was good because it made me feel like I could go somewhere other than home. Yeah. It did make me feel as though I had an office environment I could go to. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel like I belonged to something by virtue of my business so it sort of validated this concept of me starting up a business it almost made prime cap feel real because 
we were able to go to the IOD because we were a business. Yeah. And again, having been in the corporate environment myself for, for, for the previous decade, realizing and coming to terms with that, that PrimeCat is my future, and PrimeCat is a business, and PrimeCat is a real thing, it was a kind of a mental hurdle I had to get over. It wasn't just a, a folly. It wasn't just a sort of a distraction. Mm. I didn't have another job that I could go back to. It made it more real. Um, so, yeah, that, investing in that. And now I'm looking and thinking about how I can apply my time to various things like membership. I've joined something called the Private Client Dining Club. Um, and I had actually joined it when I was at previous companies. Mm-hmm. And they do, you know, every quarter a dinner. Um, mm. they, they get folks that I normally get referrals from in a room. Um, and we all sit down, have dinner, have drinks, you know, have a bit of a laugh. Um, and that was very useful, again, because it means that your calendar, your schedule, your time spent, it, it brings discipline and structure to it. Absolutely. So um, I thought that was very worthwhile. It reminds you of the corporate side of things, but, it, you know, forces you to think about yourself or your business as an individual entity separate from the corporate life you, you once led. Mm. God, I'm very clear. <laughs> no, it's true though. No, I, 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 I fully understand that, Jamie. Um, sometimes it takes a while for the penny to drop. That yeah, what what you're running isn't just a sort of side project or something you're trying out, but is actually a, a living, breathing business that's growing. Yeah. So it's a very and part good point. of me. Part of me, you know, you know, they dress for the job that you want. And the, the weird thing is that if you don't, you've got to treat your business as if it is successful from day one, yeah. even if you don't have any clients. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're getting to know how it feels to enjoy the success you've envisioned. If you can train yourself to behave as if your business is already successful and already exists and operating at full capacity, I'm convinced that that comes across. I'm convinced that that sort of influences your aura with regards to talking about your firm mm. and your, your offering. Yeah, definitely. That's such a good point, Jamie. Absolutely. It's sort of like manifestation, isn't it? Sort of embody that energy and you'll operate at a sort of higher energetic frequency and attract what you want more such a good point um so the last couple of questions jamie um this is a a favorite one of mine what is your definition of success oh different things to different people i'm sure obviously and i i many people will groan and say well hang on a minute if you don't have a ferrari then you've not made it and all that sort of thing um i don't know I'm, I'm, i'm a bear of relatively simple brain i think um for me uh, uh, you know, you're only as good as your last transaction. But I sort of think that if, if someone has a bankable reputation, if what has gone before is sufficient for them to, you know, if, if getting a referral from someone that you've never met hmm. because they've read you as credible, I think that means that you've you've, you've done something good. You, you, hmm. You've succeeded in creating again that sort of ecosystem of endorsement. Um, you know, I, I I haven't made a cold call in three years. All my business comes from word of mouth. That gives me huge gratification, wow. satisfaction personally. Yeah. But I also think that that is a testament to, to to how successful our model is and how successful we work. I'm not saying that I am a success, and I think success is relative. You know, it's, it's yeah. constantly changing. You've got to constantly change to improve what you do and stay ahead of the game. Mm. But the fact that, um we've built up a network where people know that they can rely on us that that is something i think definitely a mark of success absolutely and i love what you say that it sounds silly but that wouldn't have necessarily occurred to me so yeah that sort of endorsement from previous clients but also really being with us and really celebrating that um and all the work that's gone into achieving that because we can spend a lot of time can't we especially running um a business just striving and striving to hit the next goal looking at the future and not really being very mindful in the present and actually celebrating success. And it's so important, isn't it? 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, genuinely, there may be a client that I've worked on. Yeah, actually, there's a couple of clients now that I started working on the, uh, registering them and the, and the structure for the exchanges that they're planning to undertake. So I started working on them before lockdown. So, you know, nearly two, three months of, of my life. And the moment they've done their transaction, I've got to look for the next the next client. Yeah. So it's a very weird, uh, being such a small business as we are, it's a very weird sort of mentality. Um, hmm. If a client exchanges currency with us, that is a success. But it's also the end of our relationship with Sounds funny when you put it like that. Quite comedic. Um, and Jamie, I'd love to know where um, listeners can find you online, whether Instagram or website or otherwise. Um, uh, well, actually, I, I, I took the step of using my name as the various handles. Mm. So PrimeCap exists. You know, on Twitter, we are PrimeCap Brokers. But um, my colleagues and I, we go by the individual and then we flavor and reference the business. Because mm. the personal brand is where we think our credibility lies. The individual yeah. you know, thoughts inside my head are what separates us from our competitors. So on Instagram, I'm jamie.lezinski. On TikTok, I'm jamie.lezinski. Um, I, did, I did try the old, you know, PrimeCap or Jamie at PrimeCap. Yeah. But actually, if PrimeCap didn't exist tomorrow, then I still hope the goodwill that I've generated you know, carries on. So... Um, that, that's why we've decided to get down the personal route. I love that. Long live the personal. Well, Jamie, it's been a complete pleasure talking to you, as I knew it would be, as it always is. <laughs> um, thank you so much. You've shared so many wonderful pearls of wisdom, um, either for existing entrepreneurs um, or for people considering going that route. Um, incredibly valuable content. So thank you so much for being so open, honest and eloquent and generous. <laughs> I did stray off topic at times. I'm sorry, Bella. Yeah, but we're saying, you know... We can see the meanders, but... In all the good ways, Jamie, in all the good ways. Um, so thank you so much again, Jamie. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome.